You're listening to The Open Podcasts. I just look out and say, you know, Jack, this is what it's all about. Oh, would you believe that? Tom was just uh, a guy that I knew that you weren't going to shake. They're level with three to play. They were fighting for the Claret Jug like they had never won one before. If one got a lead, immediately the other one came back at him. Very quickly, it became the jewel in the sun. Was I nervous? Yeah, uh, sure I was nervous, playing against Jack. Who knows, Jack may hold this. You know, I stand over a lot of putts and I just say, you've got to make this, it's got to go in. And I made it. I can remember the, the gasp of wonder that went off. Everybody roared as if he still had the winning of the Open. The roar was like a jet engine and it didn't stop. I'd be hard pressed to find any moment that could define the greatness of competition than the duel in the sun. Just incredible. I mean, the duel in the sun in 77 is the duel in my sporting crown, that's for sure. This is for the championship. I went into it thinking, this is mine to lose. Tom Watson was right. This is what it's all about. I'm Eric Anders Lang, and I'm going to take you back, way back, to one of the greatest sporting contests of all time. It's July 1977. Jimmy Carter is in the White House, Apple computers have just launched, and the Open Championship is being hosted at Turnberry for the first time. That course would deliver the greatest Open of them all. I'm obviously talking about the duel in the sun. Ah, what about that for a most fantastic shot? Blow for blow, punch for punch. Jack Nicklaus had already had 14 major titles to his name, but a younger American was developing a taste for success. 27-year-old Tom Watson had won on his open debut at Carnoustie just two years earlier. And Sir John Carmichael, the captain of the Royal Nation, presents the winner of the 1975 Open Championship, Tom Watson with his check, and this wonderful trophy. This man from Kansas also got the better of Jack to take the green jacket at the Masters in the spring of 1977. He was in scintillating form, but the Golden Bear was definitely ready for the fight for his third Claret Jug. I love the Open Championship. It was my favorite event to play in. Uh, I love coming over to Britain, playing in uh, whether it be England or Scotland, but I love the golf courses. I love the type of golf it was played there. I loved the tradition. It just sort of excited me. And because it's the only time we ever played that kind of golf. And so to come over and play the old style seaside golf was something that I really, really enjoyed and looked forward to. On the tee, Tom Watson. I made a change in my swing and I was really firing on all cylinders. At the beginning of 77, I won two tournaments early. I lost shooting 75 in a, in a hard wind at the Players' Championship, and they still called me a choker. Then I, then I won the Masters, and I beat uh, Jack by a couple shots at the Masters. And then I won the Western Open. Then I go the week before the Open Championship, uh, I was invited. To, it was a pay-for-play thing at, in Barcelona, and I went over there and shot 61. So I was coming in Turnberry, and I was really playing well. To add to the enchantment of 77, it was Turnberry's debut open, and what a venue. Turnberry was, and still is, one of the most iconic course locations in the world. 
a little piece of Lynx Heaven on Scotland's southwest coast. Isn't that a lovely sight, the hills beyond? We're very fortunate, we golfers, to play in such beautiful settings. Among its admirers was future RNA secretary, Sir Michael Benalic. Well, I, I'm a great fan of Turnbury. I'm a bit biased because I won my first time at a championship there. But I think it's a magnificent golf course. And uh, they had to play so many different shots compared to how they play now. When you look at it, you, you don't see pros playing two and three irons to greens now. Jack and Tom were also lovers of Turnbury, and so were the fans. Jim Hutton was one of the thousands of golf-loving Scots who made it to the Ailsa course that week. The fans were just so enthusiastic about it. This was the first Open that had been at Turnbury, so people were glad to be there. It's a very scenic golf course. It's beautiful looking over the Firth of Clyde and over to the, the Isle of Arran. It's, uh, it's lovely. Well, I like Turnbury. I think it's a beautiful setting. I mean, I think the hotel on top of the hill, overviewing the golf course, overviewing the sea, you know, I, I thought it might have more movement to it. It didn't have a lot of movement, except I think it's around the, what, the fourth and fifth hole. We have a little bit of movement. We have some movement around nine and ten. But the rest of it was relatively flat. It was relatively dry. They talked about the, the rough. I didn't think there was much rough that week. Well, maybe, I, maybe I didn't hit it in it very much. Uh, the tournament in those days uh, started on Wednesday rather than Thursday. And well, I remember that we were in a third third floor room with a, a window that only cracked open about two inches. And it was not about 95 degrees in the room because it was facing the west. And it was really hot. And so we filled up the bathtub with water. My wife and I, uh, if we sweated too much, we'd go and we'd sit in the bathtub in the cool water to cool off and then dry off and, and lay in the bed with no, no sheets or cover. And that's, that's kind of how we did it. It was hot that week. It was really hot. Anticipation for the event was heating up too. The media circus that surrounds the Open today is a far cry from 1977. It was much more low-key. But journalist Louine Mayer had a distinctive role that year. I was in a unique situation as a journalist in those days because I was the only woman at that time writing and um, I was just doing it on a part-time basis then. But the chaps were always pretty nice to me. They tended to know who you were simply because you were the odd one out, so to speak, and they they were very good to you and Jack particularly so. I remember him, um, first broadcast I ever did for BBC Scotland and... um, I think he probably knew I was a bit nervous and he just sort of shepherded me through it and made me look good, which was extremely nice of him. Hard to think of another player ever in the history of the game that seemed to give every shot more concentration than this man. Jack was golf's superstar, its icon, but there was a serious challenger to his crown. The question of whether Nicholas or Watson was now the best was on everyone's minds including legendary broadcaster Jim Nance. We get to 77, and you're still trying to figure out, where is Jack Nicholas? Is he on the backside of his career? We know Tom Watson is, uh, is now a full-fledged star. You know, he had won in 75 at Carnoustie. He had won the Masters already that year of 77. So now we looked at him through uh, a different prism. He, he, was, uh, he was resilient. Uh, He wasn't a guy that was going to cave to anything. In the years running up to Turnberry, the Claret Jug had basically become the property of the Americans. 
Even the European tour's executive director in 77, Ken Schofield, was under no illusion as to which country ruled the game back then. Well, the whole of the 70s, leave aside Gary's win with the first big ball open at Lytham in 74, the Open Championship was dominated uh, by the Americans. We didn't know uh, in 77 that within two years, Seve would win at Lytham and go a long way to helping stop that American domination. But throughout the 70s, of course, Jack firstly had dominated. Tom came to Carnoustie in 75 and won. Weisskopf had an open win. Miller was defending champion at Turnbury. And the 70s had started with Lee Trevino winning back-to-back. So the American domination was pretty complete. Any winning performance, American or otherwise, is built upon great technique and a solid game plan. A bit of luck also helps along the way. And when confidence is added to those three elements, chances are that you will have a good week, if not a great week. And Tom was feeling good. I got off to a reasonably good start, but I really felt if I did my job, I could win the tournament. And I I rarely ever felt that throughout my entire career, uh, going into the tournament. I felt that I was going going to win it. Tom Watson now, the second shot to the home hole. Let's see. Oh, superb shot, superb shot. Uh, that was a shot of a champion. Maybe he'll be the one this week. It's more like a horse race where, you know, yeah, I've got the talent, I've got the horse, but let's see how it plays out. But that was one, one tournament when I went, I went into it thinking, you know, this is mine to lose. Medium iron, a little bit of breeze affecting the shot, and Nicholas having put one absolutely to the whole side of the country. It's another good iron. Oh, yeah, the golf course was a good test, no question about that. But, but because the rough was not very deep, even though the fairways were narrow, if you drove the ball a fair distance, which uh, both Tom and I did, we reduced the golf course to a little easier golf course than some of the guys who didn't hit it as far. Round one finished with, you guessed it, an American at the top of the leaderboard. But it wasn't one of the pre-tournament favorites that you're thinking of. It was John Schroeder, the son of the Wimbledon and US Open champ, Ted Schroeder. He opened with a four under par 66. What if that had been for the championship? What excitement. Schroeder leads at the end of day one. Four under from Martin Foster. From Bradford. Great days gone. Two shots off the lead with rounds of 68 on day one were Jack, Tom, and two-time Open champion Lee Trevino, who was looking good. Yeah, I always look good. (laughs) Day two saw Schroeder replaced at the top by yet another American. Roger Maltby's second round of 66 meant that he went into the third round on three under par. His one-shot advantage came courtesy of a missed opportunity by Trevino on the final green. So he drops his stroke and Roger Maltby has the overnight lead all by himself. Trevino settled for a second place tie with the trio of Americans, Hubert Green of Alabama plus Jack and Tom, who both had scores of 68 and 70 for their first two rounds. All was set for a mesmerizing third day. But the 77 Open would eventually be about just two men. So here's Tom Watson. He seemed to get plenty of height on that one. And uh, there it is. That's a very good shot indeed because it was a really tricky position. Nicholas with that very familiar putting style. Yes! It tottered, but it fell a birdie two. Now Tom Watson for a par three. Oh, he misses. So Nicholas takes the outright lead as Watson drops a stroke to par. That was the sixth hole on Friday, with Jack moving into a familiar spot. 
and the quality of both players was beginning to move them away from the chasing pack. Those at Turnberry were starting to get the feeling that something special was happening. Well, I think you had the two greatest, probably, Lynx golfers in the world. Jack having won two Open Championships, and Tom having won one. And here they were at Turnberry, and they were so evenly matched that it was going to be very difficult from the start to, to guess which one was going to win. Well, I was, a, I was a young upstart. I really hadn't proven myself. That year, I was beginning to prove myself. Uh, I played, uh, played with Jack on Saturday, and I played well, and you know, we both shot 65s and 500. And it was great playing with the best, you know, the greatest player in the world. It was really, you know, that's where I wanted to be. I wanted to be on that platform and see how I could compete against the best. Was I nervous? Yeah, sure I was nervous playing, you know, playing against Jack. But on the other hand, I, I had the confidence in my golf game uh, that was pretty much unprecedented in my career at that time. Tom Watson is probably the, the best competitor that I've played against in all of golf. I think Watson and uh, Trevino, was, both of them were terrific competitors, but I think Watson may, may even have been better than Trevino. Tom always uh, looked to me like he had blinders on, you know, like you'd have a horse at a horse race where he couldn't see either, either side. All he saw was straight ahead, and he was trying to get there. He was a tough guy to play against. He's a, he's a good friend. We both liked and respected each other very much, and we respected each other's games and talents. You remember Tom mentioned the unusually hot weather? Well, there was a big change in that by mid-afternoon of round three when a cold front moved in. The energy on the course was matched by that in the sky as the storm rolled in to old Turnberry. Out on the course, the lighting's very bad now. Nicholas about to play his second shot to the par four, eighth. Oh. My word, well, the ball's safely on the green, but a long way from the hole. And uh, I don't think they'll be out here much longer if that lightning continues. The light is really very poor now, as Nicholas prepares to chip his third shot. I remember on the third round, they had that storm, an electrical storm. They played on through thunder and lightning for quite a few holes. You'd never do that now. And now Watson faced with this for a par four. And he holds it as the storm breaks on this eighth green. And things look rather black and wet. Jack and Tom, they were on the eighth green, I think, when they decided to stop play. But that was only at the eighth green, and they went and sat down on the rocks, and Trevino went and sat in the sand dunes. You now wind up in Glasgow in a pub. <laughs> if it starts lightning. <laughs> we'll watch this game on the telly. Watson's caddy, Alfie Files, said, isn't water a great conductor of electricity? And at that, they moved and went into a BBC van that was lurking nearby. So, you know, they thought twice about sitting down among the rocks. That would never happen now. And yet they were still playing on the 18th hole. It was, <laughs> it was a very strange situation. Round about the time of the thunderstorm, Watson and Nicholas had established a, a slight lead and I always felt that the conclusion to the, this Open Championship actually started around the middle of the third day. When they came back, it was an all-out battle between the two of them. So at the end of the third day, Crenshaw will move to four under par, only one stroke now behind Tom Watson, who's got a shot back on Jack Nicholas. They're at the 15th hole. Tom Watson cuts first for a birdie two. Oh, what a beautiful putt. 
Did you just see that swing on the end? And that really is a blow. Now, can Nicholas hold this to remain a stroke ahead? No, it stays out rather weakly. Par three for Nicholas, and they're absolutely level, with Ben Crenshaw now only two strokes behind. It was pretty obvious that the, the winner was going to come from those two, no matter how much the others tried and got close to them. They were never going to match them. They played superb golf, and you can almost remember every single shot they hit because they were all outstanding. Hardly any bad shots. If they missed a green, it was only by a matter of feet. And uh, if they did, their short game was superb. So a remarkable day for Jack Nicklaus, despite wayward driving, needs a four for a 65, and Tom Watson also needs a par for a 65. The pressures are enormous. Very quickly, it became the jewel in the sun. It was the top man in Jack in terms of the presence of Nicholas. Uh, and the younger Watson, who, of course, uh, earlier that year um, had won the Masters and he was already on his, well on his way to becoming the great champion that uh, uh, now with five Open Championships uh, behind him, we, we all know and, and, and respect. That's Nicholas's live with this little chip, awkward one from the back of the green. Oh, brilliant chip shot. We've seen him play several of those today. A little tap-in for his par four and around a round of 65. Minus seven, total of 2.03. Well, the chance is missed, but still up in the lead. Now Tom Watson. Oh, and Alfie Files, Tom's caddy, trying to beckon it in and just failing. And Watson with a two-foot putt for his par four and a round of 65 also. Yes, yeah, safely in. Jack was so used to getting in front, and once he was in front, he was very difficult to catch. But in Tom, you had such a great fighter and a man who totally understood Lynx golf and what you've got to do with the ball, where you've got to hit it, shots you had to play. So if anybody was going to come back, it was going to be Tom. Watson had been talking at the end of the third round about you know how well he thought his third round 65 was better than... Jacks and he thought I think he thought he was playing better and that the impression the media got was that he was trying to convince himself that he could handle things in the final round. He was very, very confident. So both of them rounded 65, both on 203, both seven under, Crenshaw four under, and who's to say that those others don't still have a chance when the morrow dawns? What a day we have in store. Just picture the scene on that final day. A perfect Scottish summer's afternoon, thousands of golf fans lining the links, and two of the best players in the world about to tee off, tied for the lead. On the tee, Jack Nicholas. On the tee, Tom Watson. For Jack, the final round started like a dream. After birding the second, he led by two, and Watson made bogey. After they both parred the third, a birdie on the fourth would put Nicholas three shots up. But the young pretender refused to be beaten, and this would become the theme of the duel in the sun. After the fourth, you know, I hit a really good shot in there. Uh, into the wind, I hit, I hit it in about six feet from the hole, but missed the putt. Jack made it from about 20 feet. He had a good shot in there, too. And 
I said, oh, God, three down. Okay. It's, you know, the pressure's on Jack, not me right now. Pressure's on Jack. And uh, I buried the next hole, and then I got it up and down at six from the left bunker, which was a, a really good up and down to stay uh, two behind. And, and then uh, birdie uh, seven and eight, and get right back to even with him. So game on again. Now, can Watson get a birdie three? He can. Tom was just uh, a guy that I knew that you weren't going to shake. Once you got ahead of him, you knew he was coming back. And I just sort of tried to play my own game, but Tom came back, and uh, I must have choked then from there on in. Should have finished that. Really has been a tremendous battle between these two. One of the best I think I've ever seen. At this point, there was only one show in town, and everybody wanted to see it. The crowds at Turnberry began to thicken. Golf fan Ian Rogers had set out at dawn from Newcastle to travel the 170 miles to Turnberry to witness the action for himself. It was quite amazing. That, I mean, grown men, guys 20 years older than me, you know, running, racing into position to see the next shots. It was, it was quite something. And the huge crowd burst through the ropes in their efforts to watch this titanic struggle. It was almost like a football crowd. And I don't think anybody was particularly sort of partisan towards either Watson or Nicholas. They were, it was almost like, you know, you, could, you couldn't even dream about seeing golf that good. That's what, I suppose, drove people to, to run, to follow the game and be there and not miss anything. We walked from the eighth tee to the ninth. It was, it was bedlam. The people were running everywhere. The ropes were imaginary, essentially. And, uh, you know, they, they wanted to continue to follow this Jack and me. For, and uh, finally, uh, you know, Jack asked the steward if he would make an announcement to the crowd. You know, please remind them to stay, you know, stay behind the ropes. And, and uh, you know, they have the respect for, you know, respect for us. Nicholas doesn't like it. He's asking the officials there to keep them right off the fairways. And we just stopped playing and said, OK, guys, we're going to, uh, wait here until you can get people under control. We want to play the golf tournament and play it under proper conditions. And I know that the people are excited, but uh, it needs to be under control. Yeah, well, it got completely out of hand. And uh, I think that was one of the reasons after that that they started roping off the course completely. When we had that little interruption or pause at the ninth, it was quickly sorted out. They were just so appreciative of the golf that day and the fact that this was the Open Championship and they were able to see uh, something quite remarkable. We understood, both of us understood that we were going to have to wait on the crowd. And that's part of the deal. With the crowd settled down, the battle between Jack and Tom would become more fiery than ever. The spotlight was on, and Jack once again showed why he was the best in the world. Over to the 12th, Jack Nicklaus. Chance for a three. Both athletes recognized the enormity of what they were achieving. It moved them to reflect on a moment that says everything about sport and competition. On the 14th tee, uh, we got to the tee after I made the putt at 13 for birdie. 
to stay one behind. We had to wait in the, on the tee for the crowds to go across the crossing. And we're looking back into the sun, and it's so much dust, it was, it was like there was a fog. And it was just, you know, the sun was blotted out by the dust. And it's just, you know, it's like the fog at Pebble Beach, almost. A little warmer. And uh, we're just standing there looking out, you know, not saying anything. I, I just look out and say, you know, Jack, this is what it's all about. And he responded, you bet it is. And so, you know, basically that's the only conversation we basically had. Even in the heat of the moment, amidst the blaze of battle under the scorching sun, these two greats took a moment to appreciate each other, grateful for their competition. If you could ever find a single snapshot in sport, now I'm not talking just our sport, whatever it might be, if you could ever find a moment that I believe defines the greatness of competition and sport, I think it's that moment with Tom and Jack realizing and expressing to one another that this is what it's all about. Basically, what they're saying is they're cheering each other on. To me, that's what athletes and competitors live for, is live for the, the time to come down the stretch and have somebody else playing, playing the same way they are playing, playing well, and have a competition to where you're both just trying as hard as you can, playing your best, and trying to, trying to beat the other fella. That is what it's all about. Both Tom and I appreciated that and enjoy that. Tom mentioned to me, and I was obviously, I said, absolutely right here. This is what it's all about. They weren't looking to knock each other out. They were fighting for the claret jug like they had never won one before. But at the same time, it was done underneath that umbrella of this is sportsmanship. This is sport at its finest. This is what competition should be. It's not trash talking. It's not rooting against someone. It's about doing your best, giving it your all, and may the best man win. And I, I, I'd be hard-pressed to find any moment in any sport that could define the greatness of competition and sportsmanship than the duel in the sun. So to the 14th green, Nicholas and Watson, Nicholas a stroke ahead. Well, that was rising to the middle. And Nicholas at 10 under, well, if he could just hold par, which is uh, 3 4 5 4, 270, and in for Watson. Two fours, still Nicholas one ahead. And he's very brave. I think he's played magnificent if he stand up to Nicholas for two days like this. Yeah, I think that's right, because I think Jack was probably the greatest all round golfer there's ever been, including Tiger. And whereas I think Tom was probably the greatest Lynx player there's ever been. He was superb on Lynx golf. So you had the two of them, the greatest golfer probably in the world and the best Lynx player in the world, going head to head. And what a, what a way they matched each other every shot. If one got a lead, immediately the other one came back at him. Blow for blow, punch for punch. The final round was enthralling. Jack led by two early on and Tom pegged him back. Jack gained an advantage with that birdie at 12, Tom pegged him back and the world's greatest golfer was about to be caught again. This time, Tom dealt a real body blow. I remember the 15th hole, I hit a pretty good shot in 20, 25 feet, something like that, uh, long par three, and Tom hit it on the fringe. And it had a long, oh, I don't know, 50-foot putt that was really a difficult putt. 
It was, yeah. If you put putter 15, Jack's got it about 20 feet under the hole, and uh, I've got it just, I've got it off the green, but uh, there's no reason to chip the ball there. It was, you know, it just it had to come down the slope, and it broke hard to the right when it got on the green. Uh, Watson, he'll do well to get down in two. I hit the putt, and it's going too hard to hit the, hit the flag and goes in. Would you believe that? Well, I've seen many things in my life, but Fancy taking the putter from 12 feet off the green, he can suddenly rock, race it down the hill, leave the pin in, and he's held it from all of 25 yards. Well, 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 well. So, that's given Jack something to think about, but, well, he's a great man. Yeah, it was one of those, you know, shots that, totally unexpected, but it went in, and then Jack almost makes his putt. Now he has this putt for a two, to stay one ahead. And I and I missed mine because I mean it wasn't one you'd expect to make anyway, but I still missed it, which put us even. And it's online. Oh, and he hasn't given it enough. That was really turning towards the hole. And uh, uh, now we're tied, going to the last three holes. And, and I've heard Tom talk about holding that big putt. And in his mind, he felt like he had jumped like four feet in the air. Uh, I'd like to get the true measurement of that someday. But <laughs> meanwhile, Nicholas, you, you just know Jack Nicholas felt pretty invincible. I, I, I know he felt that he was in command, even with it being but a one-shot lead. And then Tom hold it from off the green. So it was just part of the magic of that ultimate competition. He was fearless. I think Watson had showed us that in how he'd closed out Jack Newton and the others at Carnoustie only two years earlier. Uh, Watson was not to be denied despite everything that, that Jack threw at him. Let's have a look at that uh, shot of Watson's again because I'd barely finished saying he'll be delighted to get down in two than any normal human being would have been. And here she goes, just watch this running back. Much too hard and then suddenly it just catches absolutely perfectly edge of the hole. I think that was the sort of the real clinching point for Tom. And then of course Jack missed for him a very short putt on 17. What a horrid length to have to hold. It was a good strike too. Hit it straight at the left side and it didn't turn. But it's still not over yet. Now Watson, this to go into the lead. As it turned out, Jack missed a short putt at 17 to give me a one-shot lead, and here we are playing 18. Well, what tension. You can feel it sizzling in the air like electricity. Going down 18 on the tee, I think it was, Alfie Files, Watson's caddy, he's told his man, go for the jugular, which I thought was quite nice. <laughs> Tom looked down the closing par four with a one-shot lead. It was the first time that he had led Jack Nicholas all day. What happened over the next 20 minutes would go down in golf folklore, as though it was written. The Open has had many great moments, but nothing quite matches those final few shots of the 1977 Open at Turnberry. Oh, the crowd's now all buzzing with excitement. The scores have gone up on the giant scoreboard at the 18th green. They all know now that Watson is one ahead. It's his honor, and he's out with the one or two iron. Straight down the middle, if it doesn't get a nasty kick. Beautiful shot. And of course, the last, he had a perfect tee shot. And I didn't hit a very good tee shot. I hit it through the fairway. And 
I hit it under a gorse bush. Now, I was wondering what Jack Nicholas would do. He's been taking an iron every time, and out comes Big Bertha, and he's going for the mighty carry right across the whole thing. Jack, for some, un I don't know what reason, he took a driver off the tee, and he pushed it way right. I mean, it went straight right on him. And, you know, yell four, and the crowd moves, and the gorse is right there. Right to the right, you know, behind the crowd. Yeah, I don't know where it is. And he's chopped it. He's chopped it away down the right-hand side. He's disgusted with it. He turns away, and he's very close to the gorse. I don't know why I hit driver. Uh, I wasn't going to drive the green. You know, I think one iron was probably the proper club. I think maybe, I, I don't remember, but I think I might have played one iron in previous rounds. And why I would play that, I don't know. Maybe I was trying to get down there where I gave myself my best chance for birdie. You know, that's just inexperience. Once I played a few more years, I got over those kind of things. So we were walking up there, and one shot lead, and I said, well, I've got to go find out my options here. So I walked all the way up to Jack's ball and found it uh, where he wasn't in the gorse, but it was it was two inches from the gorse. But he had a, he had a right-hand swing so he could get it out. But the problem was he was in really a deep lie. He had a bad lie. So I, I walked back to my ball and... Uh, all the time I'm thinking, okay, I've, I've got to hit a shot because Jack's, you know, he's the best rough player who ever played the game. He's, he's going he's gonna to do something here. I hit my shot. I hit it solid. I hit a seven iron and, and knocked it. Uh, I, I couldn't tell how close it was. I don't know if it was 10 feet short or 10 feet long. I didn't know, didn't know where it was, but the crowd, the crowd liked it. That was the swing of a confident man, wasn't it? It looked beautiful. We obviously saw Tom's second shot land what we thought looked like it was virtually stone dead, a magnificent shot that looked like it had certainly won, won the Open. And then I walked up to watch Jack take that shot out of the rough. Well, 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 well Jack's going to have a moment to think about this. He's got to pull out the shot of his lifetime here because Watson is, well, almost a gimme. Everybody wanted to see Nicholas hitting his second at the 18th. And I remember trying not to sneeze because there was dust coming up from everywhere. I don't know how far I was, but I hit an eight iron, and uh, I know that I had to. I know I had to hit a flyer because uh, I'm sure that I was probably 175 yards away. The ball came flying out as I had hoped. In all, I think if I went back and played it again 20 times, I would be very happy with the result that I got the first time. And he's got it on the green, right hand corner, and the crowd traditionally running across the 18th fairway. Jack's on the green there, but look where Watson's ball is, and he's a straight ahead. And here the ball comes out, tumbling out of this terrible lie. And it's, I'm thinking it's going to miss to the green to the right, but no, it, it takes a good bounce and rolls up uh, on the green. The grandstands were very, very busy. I can remember the, the gasp of wonder that went up when Nicholas's ball found the green because it seemed to be in a pretty hopeless position. So um, no one thought he would manage to put it on the green. We couldn't see much of Jack whirling his either wedge or nine iron, whatever it was he hit for that second shot, but he somehow got it onto the front right of the green. There's the crowd. Now the players have to battle through there. I'm sure it won't be a battle that Tom Watson minds very much. And Watson has a putt for a three. I'm walking up there, and I don't, still don't know how close my ball is. 
until I got through the crowd. And I still don't know how close the ball is because it's really a flat look. Was it three feet? Was it five feet? Was it, you know, was it short? Was it pin high? Well, it turned out it was exactly pin high. And it was just left of the hole, two and a half feet. I'm getting up there, and my caddy, Alfie, said, well, you've got him now, mister. You've got him now. And I said, nope. He's going to hold his putt. <laughs> he looks he looks at me like with cross eyes. He said, what are you thinking about? And I said, no, he's going to make it. And his caddy said to him, I said, well, you got him now. And Tom says, no, no, no. He says, you can't count him out. He'll make this one. Now he must hold and Watson must miss if there's to be a tie. We all know that Jack just had this knack for always holding the putt on the 72nd green, but this wasn't a 15-footer. This was more like a 40-footer. You know, I stand over a lot of putts, and I just say, you've got to make this. It's got to go in. And I just say that to myself. And for some reason, through the years, I've made a lot of those putts, and I've said that. That was one of them I stood over, and I said, I don't know what he'll do with his putt, but I've got to make this one, otherwise the tournament's over. Of course, when he got over the putt, uh, I'm thinking, well, He's going to make this putt. What about that? He went in the you know, geometric dead center of the hole, and of course the crowd went went ballistic, and just the the, the roar was uh, you know, it was like a jet engine, and it didn't stop. I remember I was clinging to a stanchion on the stand on the side of the 18th, peering between somebody's legs to see see what was happening. You just shook your head and thought, that's, that's Nicholas. He could do it. Probably no one else could have done it, but um, he managed it. And uh, yeah, the din, was, the din was, was deafening. I mean, it was a wonderful putt from Jack. It, I mean, it told us so much about the competitor. Everybody roared as if he still had the winning of the Open. Well, the crowd went crazy. Well, we're just thinking now, won't it be nice to have two putts from about three feet for the Open Championship? And suddenly, young Master Watson has to pull himself together and pop his in to be champion. What a putt, what a putt. What makes golf so great, the greatest sport there is as far as the respect that people have for the game. Because when I put my ball down, and rose up, Jack put his hands up in the air. And I swear in three seconds, that jet engine roar went to nothing. Complete dead silence in three seconds. Now, a lot of sports, the noise and the, and the deafening uh, yell of, of the fans and so forth is something that is part of it. In golf, it, it's not. Somehow I sort of maybe wish it were otherwise because we, then we wouldn't bother with silence but uh in golf it's still a game of courtesy uh, a game of, of what is right and what is, is is proper from a sportsmanship standpoint and you know i they gave me the courtesy of allowing me to put my putt when watson was right beside the hole and the tournament was essentially over and i once i made mine tom should have the right to put his under the same circumstances. That's the respect that Jack had for, okay, Tom wants to finish this out. Okay, let's give him his due. He put his hands up and the crowd responded. This is for the championship. Yes, well, 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 well. Absolute drama to the end. I don't think I'd seen anything better than that in my life, and neither of you. Absolutely wonderful. I remember rather nastily thinking, oh, Watson might still miss. But um, of course he didn't, and Watson 
didn't take too long over his little putt. He just knocked it in and his hands shot up in the air. And then, of course, Jack was congratulating him. I mean, it was a truly wonderful finish. It was almost like the only guy who didn't seem to be concerned about it was Watson. He was just, well, it's only a three foot putt. I've never missed one of these in my life. You know, just <laughs> and he knocked it in like it was a Saturday afternoon with the boys. Uh, just incredible. The climax of the 106th Open Championship was not special. It was extraordinary. If we saw this in a film, we would question its validity. Jack was beaten, but he knew he had lost to the better man. What happened next showed why Jack was the very best. I made the putt and raised my, my arms in, in victory. And as I was walking off the green, Jack grabbed me by the neck and he said, Tom, I gave you my best shot, that it wasn't good enough. Congratulations. As he tapped his putt and I went over and put my arms around his shoulder and I think I said to him something to the effect that says, well, I gave you my best shot and uh, it just wasn't good enough. Yeah, I think that's typical of Jack to say that. And he would enjoy the challenge and he would admire Tom for the golf he played. He was a great sportsman as well as a wonderful competitor. And there's been a few times in Nicholas's career, just like this in 77, uh, the Ryder Cup match when he conceded the putt to Tony Jacklin that we got a chance to really grow a deeper appreciation and respect for Jack Nicholas, the sportsman. And, and you know, they don't make him like that anymore. <laughs> Everyone is kind of taught today, you, you want to step on the other guy's neck. Jack, Jack wanted to put his arm around your shoulder and give you a hug uh, out of respect and uh, admiration for what you had done to beat him. I think that a lot of that comes from your upbringing. My father passed away far too young. He passed away in 1970. But my father taught me the principles of sportsmanship and fair play. He instilled those into me as, as I grew up. And I've never forgotten them. And you know, my dad was my, not only my father, but he was my best friend. I listened to what he said and I tried to live my life that way because I know that's what he would want. So, you know, that was, it was not difficult for me to congratulate Tom because it was the right thing to do. The champion golfer of the year, Tom Watson. This is probably my greatest thrill in golf, beating Jack Nicklaus like this. And I'm sure that it won't be my last confrontation with him, and I'm sure, I, sure it might come out different the next time we play. If Jack has anything to say about it. I gave you my best shot, and uh, West wasn't good enough. You were better, and it was well played. Once the dust had settled around the Ailsa course's final hole, it was clear to see that this Open had been an exceptional one. Tom and Jack's nearest challenger was nowhere to be seen, and even knowing the story, you can't quite believe it. You know, Watson finished 12 under, Nicholas was 11 under, and Hubert Green was third at one under par, 10 shots back of second, and Trevino was even for the tournament, and those were the only four that were par or better for the week, but Tom and Jack had distanced themselves from everybody else, and they put on a show that weekend that uh, I know time passes and things lose their sizzle, so maybe it gets diluted a little bit, unfortunately, because of time, but that Nicholas 65-66 the last two days and Watson 65-65, you'd be hard-pressed to find anything that could ever rival that as far as the great duels in golf. As things worked out on Sunday, I got three shots behind after four holes, and then I brought it back with birdies at five, uh, seven, and eight, and then got two shots behind with a 
bogey at nine and Jack's birdie at 12. Jack pushed ahead and I caught up to even. Jack pushed ahead and I caught up to even. And I pushed ahead by, by a nose. On Saturday, July the 9th, 1977, millions watched this story unfold on television or listened to commentators paint the scene on radio. A few thousand people had the privilege of watching in the flesh at Turnberry. I was very fortunate to, to have been there for, for these uh, two rounds. A wonderful memory. And I'm looking at the programme for the, the event here and I see that the admission for both the Friday and the Saturday cost me £4 per day which is um, pretty good value for money. I was at the World Cup final in Sydney, the rugby. I've been to test matches and FA Cup finals and internationals, and, and I've, I've never been to a, any sporting event where it was so on a knife edge and the crowd was so excited. It was just incredible. Yeah, I mean, the jewel in the sun in 77 is, is the jewel in, the, in my sporting crown, that's for sure. Looking back at that championship itself, extraordinary thing was that they had exactly the same scores in every round for the first three rounds and it was only on the last green that they got separated by one shot that is quite extraordinary that saturday afternoon at turnbury for all sorts of reasons but principally what we'd seen the greatest champion being taken down at the very very last moment by if you like the new champion on the block Huckleberry Finn, I think most people talked of Tom Watson. And from the moment, of course, that Watson had won at Carnoustie two years earlier, he'd become adopted by the Scots almost in a way that they'd earlier adopted Palmer and, and Jack. So it was a, a tremendous occasion. I think it was a truly wonderful moment and a wonderful moment for golf. In 2077, there will be films and documentaries made to salute the 100 year anniversary of what will still be called as perhaps the most riveting back and forth ever in the history of the game. To me, to be involved with another competitor and doing what we did coming down the stretch is what it's all about. That's the fun of it. When you play sports, when you have competition, it should be enjoyable. If it's not, you should go find another sport or something else to do. And that match was enjoyable, even to the end when Tom held his putt for me, against me. He was, he, it was enjoyable even to me, because uh, as I said, I gave him my best shot and it wasn't good enough. To be able to beat Jack at the Masters and then again in the Open Championship, playing with him head to head, it gave me the, the belief that I could play with the big boys, as I said. I could play with them. I could beat the big boys. So there you have it. The story of the 1977 Open, told by the people who were there. Other Opens have created truly golden moments, but perhaps none have eclipsed the events of that year. A year that will forever be referred to as the Duel in the Sun. I'm Eric Anders Lang. Thanks for listening. The champion golfer of the year, Tom Watson. I'm a golfer. That's what I am. That's who I am. This has been an original audio production from The Open.